Hello, and welcome back to Energy Transition Today. I'm Oliver. I'm Ashley. And I'm Ashkenaz. And we are here to bring you the latest news and analysis from the energy transition. It is our great pleasure to welcome back Ashley. It's been a while since you've been on the podcast. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Oliver. I'm excited to be here and hopefully we can talk about some exciting developments. Indeed, Ashley will be talking us through some of the findings in Inspiration's latest leak tailwind reports later. Correct. There's a lot of news to cover, particularly in the offshore sector, but then we also have quite interesting developments in the solar market and a lot of hydrogen news to cover as well. And in addition, later on, we'll be covering some of Inspiration's other upcoming reports, including in the hydrogen space and PPAs. Stay tuned for those. But yes, let's start with the news. Ashkenas, what have you found? So to kick things off, Inspiratia has spoken to the team at High24, which is a joint venture between RDN and 5T Hydrogen, and we have learned that its latest 500 million euro fund has reached its, reached its first close before the end of last year. High24's second vehicle, the Clean Hydrogen Equipment Fund, began actively fundraising towards the end of last summer. Uh, so what do we know about this fund? What's it, what's it all about? Well, this is an interesting fund because while High24's first fund was was more of an infrastructure fund dedicated to project financing type deals, this one is more of a private equity fund that invests in the manufacturers of technologies for hydrogen. The fund broadly targets four types of investments. First is production, which includes electrolysis and other technologies that produce low carbon hydrogen molecules. Conversion, which includes reactors, separators, compressors to pressurize, liquefy, or convert hydrogen into products like sustainable aviation fuel, e-methanols, and ammonia. And well, this also includes cracking technologies, which convert these fuels back into hydrogen. Thirdly, there is logistics and related technologies that are involved in the transport of hydrogen and its byproducts, like ammonia. And finally, end-use equipment and applications like fuel cells. So while we normally cover a lot of infrastructure funds, I think this is a really important fund because it's peaked to the supply chain of hydrogen, but it's just as important as, say, the production. Yeah, completely agree with that. In fact, it's uh, an opportune time to cover this because that kind of breakdown between there's, you know, there's production of hydrogen, there's end use of hydrogen, but then there's also all these other uh, infrastructure projects, yes, but also the technology that needs to be advanced in those in-between steps. And that's one of the really key things that we are looking into for inspirators. Green Hydrogen Index report, the latest instalment of which uh, should be out right now if you're listening to the podcast. So we'll be going into that in more detail next week. Very smooth plug, Oliver. Thank you. Just to conclude, the fund targets investments in primarily in Europe, but also in North America and the Asia Pacific, because there are a lot of important countries there in the hydrogen market, like Japan and Australia. What else has been uh, piquing your interest in the news this week? I think this has been quite a busy week for the offshore wind sector. Now, the Orkney Island Council has granted consent and marine licenses for the construction and operation of the proposed West of Orkney wind farm. Scottish ministers will make the final decision on the offshore consent following recommendations by the Marine Directorate Licensing Operations Team. The project is being developed around 30 kilometres off the west coast of Orkney and it has an expected capacity of 2 gigawatts with the first power scheduled for 2029. The wind farm has a grid connection agreement with the National Grid for a connection to Caithness. The project is a joint venture between Green Investment Group, that's part of Macquarie, Total Energies and RIDG. Now moving over across the pond, New York's fourth offshore wind capacity solicitation round received six bids for a total capacity of 3 gigawatts. Sources close to the market have told us 
The bidding for this round closed on the 25th of January, with provisional winners set to be announced towards the end of this month. So if you would like to know more about Hi24's fund and the full list of bidders in this offshore round, head over to Inspiration's website. Sticking in the US offshore market, though, I think we've got some more updates. Yes, the US Bureau of Ocean Energy Management has finalized seabed specifications for two new fixed foundation offshore wind areas off the coast of Oregon. The two areas, known as Coos Bay and Brookings, are estimated to accommodate a combined capacity of 2.4 gigawatts. Um, BOEM will publish an environmental assessment notice for the two areas shortly, followed by a 30-day public comment period. If no significant objection is raised during the initial comment phase, the organization will conduct a second round of consultations before launching a public tender to sell the seabed development rights. Now, moving back to the UK... Octopus Energy and the National Grid have formed a partnership to expedite the insulation process of heat pumps and other low-carbon technologies in the UK. Following the agreement, Octopus Energy engineers are now authorised to upgrade the fuse on the upcoming electricity supply simultaneously during the installation of heat pumps, EV chargers and solar panels in customers' homes. Now this is important because it will eliminate a step in the process that previously could add up to 10 weeks to the installation timeline. National Grid has assessed the heat pumps installed by Octopus Energy and has pre-approved them for connections across their network. This pre-approval potentially saves up to five weeks by avoiding checks to ensure the local electricity grid can accommodate the extra power needed for the heat pumps. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, especially after the story we covered last week about the potential uh, backsliding in the fines that were going to be applied to uh, fossil fuel consuming heat systems in the UK. The signals coming from government from this are a bit all over the place. So it's nice to see that despite all that, there are big moves being taken by players like National Grid on the uh, utility side and Octopus to kind of push this forward. Indeed, and I think it's well, I think this solves a lot of problems in the UK's heat pump and residential heating markets because, as we know, the UK's boiler upgrade scheme has been more or less underperforming. And, and you know, aside from the cost, the lack of trained engineers and the long delays in insulation are, are one of the reasons why people aren't installing as many heat pumps as the government would have liked. So, yeah, just removing as many barriers as possible. It's a good thing for the decarbonisation of heating. Indeed, it's not, it's not always about the technology. Sometimes it's just... Sometimes it's just about a lack of skilled workers. And connection times. Indeed. My, my, we could talk about connection times. But before we do that, let's talk about batteries. Yes, indeed. Um, A couple of stories happening in the battery storage sector. Now, Romania's Ministry of Energy has launched two tenders to support solar and battery energy storage systems with a total funding pool of of 278 million euros. The funding for both schemes will be provided under Romania's National Recovery and Resilience Plans and will happen through EU funds. The first tender seeks to install battery projects with a total combined capacity of at least 240 megawatts and 480 megawatt hours. So that's a two-hour project. The budget allocated by the government for these projects is is almost 80 million euros. The call includes funding for the purchase of equipments and installation along with the construction of battery assets. Meanwhile, the second scheme is aimed at supporting the development of solar and battery production, assembly and recycling capability. So again, it's quite important for the supply chain in Europe. The total budget for this tender is 199 million euros, so this is a bit bigger, and this is allocated to new new capacities for the production, assembly and recycling of batteries and photovoltaic cells, with more of the pool being allocated towards the towards the production and recycling of batteries, which is and it's roughly around 149 million euros. 
and through the scheme, Romania hopes to commission at least 2 gigawatts of battery supply chain capacity and at least 200 megawatts of photovoltaic cell production, recycling and assembly by 30th June 2026. I find this story really interesting. So how exactly are they trying to bolster these supply chains? Now, when you're looking at the battery market, bids could include any combination of the production of recycling of electrodes or electrode components. And it could also include the assembly assembly of electrodes in the batteries, along with battery testing and conditioning. For the solar cell supply chains, bids could include a combination of a production of polysilicon and wafers, or the assembly of the cells and modules, or as we, as we mentioned before, the recycling of these cells. The deadline for both of these tenders is 21st March 2024. I think this is probably going to be a much bigger part of the market in the future than any of us have experienced before. The recycling of existing projects. Because we've covered in, in this podcast every week huge expansions that we've seen in renewable energy capacity over the last couple of years. And the kind of the first upticks there are now becoming ever closer to the end of life. Wind power, which is being uh, decommissioned or repowered, solar farms that have reached uh, the end of their useful lives. And the number of projects that are sort of entering that phase is now going to be exponentially rising just as capacity has done. So projects like this, I think, are going to have a much bigger role in the future of the green energy supply chain than we've ever been used to in the past, especially as Europe in general is looking to diversify its own supply chains and stop relying on major export markets abroad. Now, moving on to Australia, there's been a significant battery project, battery storage project that reached financial close last week. Equus has secured 400 million Australian dollars, which is roughly around 200 million pounds of non-recourse debt financing for a grid-scale battery storage project. The package will go towards the Melbourne Renewable Energy Hub, which is co-owned by Equus and SEC, which is the Victorian government-owned renewable energy company. Equus secured the debt package from a syndicate of banks, including Export Development Canada, Sockchin, Standard Chartered and Westpac. The loan will finance the construction of the third state of third stage of the project, which has a capacity of 200 megawatts and 800 megawatt hours. This stage of the project is under construction and is expected to become operational in 2025. Once completed, SEC will manage its market operations, providing firming services to support the supply of electricity towards two Victorian government customers. This is a complex project split into two phases. Now, phase one, which is what we're talking about, has been fully financed and consists of three stages. Now, the first two stages each have a capacity of 200 megawatts and is a 2R battery. And the third stage, which which is, has just reached financial close, is also 200 megawatts, but has a duration of four hours. Both projects are majority owned by Equus, with SEC holding a minority stake. And the total capex of the project is roughly 1.16 billion Australian dollars. And this project is expected to be Australia's largest battery storage project once all the stages are fully built. Now, coming back to Europe, German solar developer Photovolt Development Partners is seeking investors to fund the development of its 840 megawatt Botley West solar farm in the UK, according to sources familiar with the matter. PVDP is now in the process of preparing the consultation report and the environmental statement before submitting the development consent order application in June 2024. Now, obviously, this is in the UK and it's 
it's bigger than 50 megawatts, so it automatically classifies as a nationally significant infrastructure project, which means it doesn't go through the regular local government planning application. It goes straight to the national government. A decision on the DCO is expected in the summer of 2025. And just as an update on the timeline of the projects, the second consultation concluded last week and the construction of the project is scheduled to commence in the summer of 2025. The solar farm will be operational and will be connected to the national grid in autumn 2027. The developers are also looking to secure offtake agreements for the projects ahead of financial close. Now moving on to hydrogen, EET Hydrogen, which was formerly known as Vertex Hydrogen, is set to make final investment decision on its HPP1 low-carbon hydrogen plant this September. The project will be located at the Stanlow Manufacturing Complex in Ellesmere Port in Cheshire. Phase 1 of the project is expected to deliver 350 megawatts of electrolyzer capacity. The construction of the project is expected to begin by the end of this year. EET is currently in the process of choosing an EPC provider for the plant. The facility secured planning permit last month. The project's capex is estimated to be around £2 billion. HPP1 also received financial support from the UK government's 20 billion CCUS scheme, which aims to store around 30 million tons of carbon emissions per year by 2030. The facility is scheduled to commence operations by the end of 2026. Thank you very much, Ash. Starting and ending with hydrogen there, just as I like it. Before we let you go, you also uh, published a Q&A this week with um, Ankala, the uh, infrastructure manager. Could you share with us a bit of what um, you discussed with them in that? Yes, of course. So just as an introduction, Ankala is an independent infrastructure manager. They focus on mid-market in- investments and has more than €4 billion Euros in assets under management with 18 assets operating in essential infrastructure sectors, including renewables, transport, utility and the circular economy. So what kind of uh, discussion did you have with them? What did they want to talk about? I think it was it was really interesting talking to them about about their investment strategy and one one of the things that stood out to me was how they kept going back to their key infrastructure characteristics that they like to focus on. So any any investments they're making, they like to focus on characteristics that include downside protection, asset backing, inflation linkage and cash yield. And they say that those are the kind of characteristics that help them avoid some of the struggles that a lot of infrastructure managers face in the past years when it comes to fundraising. And I assume that also helped them reach their recent close. Yes, indeed. Um, The firm recently completed a final close of its third flagship commingled fund. They raised a total of 1.4 billion euros in commitments, surpassing its 1.2 billion target size. If you'd like to know more about their investment strategy, as well as a deep dive into some of their recent investments, the article is open access to everyone. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to go and check that out. It's quite an interesting read. Thank you. Moving on, we are going to turn to Inspiration's recent leaked table reports. Ashley is here to talk us through that. How are you doing, Ash? I'm fine. Thanks for having me, Oliver. Great to be back. Fantastic to have your wonderful voice on the podcast. So, Ash, uh, why don't you introduce the report that you've uh, recently written to our audience? What's it all about? Sure. Um, over the last few weeks, the data team has been hard at work compiling all of the uh, data required for this report. And as uh, regular listeners might know, last Friday, we released our inaugural leak table report on the top performing advisors and lenders who participated in the energy transition deals for the 2023 calendar year. Now, in the past, this would have been in the form of an analysis piece on the website, and like, we have, like what we have done with the quarterly rankings. 
But we figured that in line with the company rebranding in the second half of last year, it'd be great to present these rankings in the form of a more extended report. And this way, both us and the companies that are in these rankings will be able to highlight and share the results a little better. And at the same time, entice other potential companies who may want to participate in future reports. So Ashley, what's the methodology for these league tables this time around? What's different? So the league tables are ranked primarily by the total number of deals that advisors and lenders have been involved in across the energy transition space. And following that, we will also note down the total disclosed cumulative transaction values of all deals measured standardized in US dollars for each participant. Now, as there are many transactions that have uh, variable or undisclosed values, this wouldn't necessarily be used as a ranking criteria, but it adds a little bit of context to uh, the participants who are involved in these tables. So in line with the company rebranding, we have altered the eligibility for which uh, deals would be counted in these rankings. What hasn't changed is that your transactions and projects in your traditional renewables, so for instance, your solar projects, your wind projects, hydropower, these would all still be counted um, in addition to emerging technologies that have contributed to a net zero future. So your hydrogen projects, uh, e-fuels, electric vehicles, and digital infrastructure deals, these will all still be eligible. So this is now an energy transition league table, as you mentioned. So what are the projects which are no longer eligible, just to be clear? So in the past, we would have covered uh, traditional infrastructure deals. Uh, For instance, uh, a new road being built or a new transport deal uh, that uses more traditional fuels. Uh, These will no longer be counted uh, from here on out. So if you want to be on the Inspiratia Energy Transition League tables, you have to have that energy transition goal built into the project itself. We're not just counting anything. That's correct. Excellent. So we have much more strict criteria and a few different categories which we are uh, assessing. What are those categories? We rank the top performing advisors and lenders across uh, four uh, different categories, with one being new for this year. Those are? So these are financial advisors, uh, legal advisors, banks, and the new one for this year would be uh, technical advisors. And across those different uh, types of participants in the deals that we cover from day to day, what kind of interesting trends have you seen emerge in the data? So across all of the advisors and lenders, it's there's no surprise that solar, onshore wind and battery tend to be the standout sectors. But uh, for each different category, there are some interesting sectors that have stood out to me. So for financial advisors, for instance, we've seen a lot of involvement in electric vehicle charging deals. Uh, the standout market markets tend to be have been in the UK, US, and Spain. And additionally, there are a lot of uh, acquisition and brownfield deals that have stood out for financial advisors. Okay. And what about legal advisors? Where have we seen most of that activity? So legal advisors have been uh, quite active in the US, UK, and Italian markets. And uh, st- sectors that have stood out across uh, legal advisors were offshore wind and biofuels projects. They were involved in a lot of uh, greenfield deals. And additionally, they were also highly active in PPA deals. Interesting. It's where a lot of those um, sort of support mechanisms and tax credits, where those lawyers, I suppose, are getting most of their um, work at the moment. That's right, yes. Uh, How about lenders? Now, the lenders table has a slight difference from uh, how we rank the other advisors in that we examine not the total disclosed transaction value of the projects that they've participated in, but rather the total disclosed allocated volume that they have lended, usually through like a syndication. 
So that, that's just to make sure we're not giving a bank too much credit if they've had a relatively small role in one tranche in one project. Precisely, yes. But yeah, aside from that, the criteria remains the same. Uh, for lenders, uh, the interesting insights is that they have been also been active in the US, UK and German markets. But an interesting sector that, that stood out for me is uh, their involvement in digital infra deals. So a lot of uh, data center uh, deals, a lot of like telecoms, utility and broadband deals. And predictably, uh, they were also in, and they were also involved in uh, greenfield deals. I think one of the big trends that have come out in the last year is that a lot of like new data centers are being built by big tech companies. Interesting uh, that you should mention big tech companies in relation to a piece which we released uh, this week on the role that big tech players are uh, having in the green energy transition. Especially when you look at the PPA market, I think that's something that's going to be touched upon when we release our PPA report in a couple of weeks' time. That's right. Yeah, a lot of these a lot of these companies are kind of like working on on the same projects where lenders tend to be involved in the greenfield aspect of a data center being built, and legal advisors were more likely to be involved in setting out the PPA contracts. So there's a lot of synergy going around in markets at the moment. Yes, and what about the new category? We talked about technical advisors being added to the list. Uh, obviously, we haven't got anything to compare this to from previous uh, reports, but uh, what did you see in the data? New for this report uh, and for future coverage, we will also rank the top performing uh, technical advisors across the energy transition space. So usually this would mean consulting firms that specialize in renewables projects, uh, integrating sustainability solutions and helping companies in their net zero objectives. What stood out for me here is that technical advisors followed a pattern that were set by law firms and financial advisors as they too will likely participate in the same projects. Active markets that they've been involved in are the US, UK, and Italy. And they were also involved in offshore wind and data center projects, predominantly in uh, greenfield deals, although they tend to be quite involved in uh, acquisition and brownfield deals as well. Now, we're not going to reveal on this podcast all of the results. Uh, that's something that you have to go and look at our website for. But, but what kind of companies uh, are showing up on these charts? So for the companies that are involved in, in these projects, they're perhaps no big surprises on who you expect to be involved. For instance, your big four consulting firms, your magic circle law firms, large-scale banks, and the like. I think it's an interesting move that we have decided to focus, uh, add a technical advisor section this time, and it probably speaks to the fact that since we are just focusing on the energy transition, energy transition projects, we can focus deeper into the various players involved in the market. Yes, and I suppose the other thing about where technical advisors are involved in projects, I suppose they tend to um, be involved in the projects which are pushing boundaries in some way. Some of the biggest projects or some of the most uh, complicated, complex projects, the ones kind of on the edge pushing out the boat, uh, trying to find out what are the edges of the technology. That's right. They tend to have a lot of like domain knowledge on the sectors that they are involved in. Indeed. And as we've mentioned a few times in this episode, there is plenty of further reading in the report itself. I'll be linking that in the, the show notes. Thank you so much for uh, taking us through that, uh, Ashley. It's been uh, it's a really fascinating report. I encourage everyone to go and read it. Before we finish off, I'm just going to bring uh, a f- summary of some of the other some of the other analysis pieces that you can read on Inspiration's website uh, this week. Uh, I mentioned earlier, but tech power play. What exactly is big tech's role in the energy transition? When in 2010, Google signed a power purchase agreement and became the first prominent tech company to enter the clean energy space, not many could have predicted the explosive role that tech companies would have on the energy sector today. If you want a full analysis on that, on the role of not just Google, but 
Microsoft, Apple, Meta and Amazon on the energy transition, particularly the PPA market. That is available on the website now, as is a piece looking at nuclear power and the future of uh, nuclear power in the UK and France. As the UK and France are intensifying their efforts for nuclear expansion in a low carbon future, both nations are pledging to triple their nuclear energy capacity by the mid-century. However, As ever, there are hurdles to their goals. Despite the surge in renewable capacity, nuclear remains a linchpin for low-carbon baseload power. Further reading, as usual, it's on the Inspiration website. So, um, as we've covered already, the next few weeks, Inspiration will be putting out quite a lot of reports. So I'd encourage you all to keep an eye on your inboxes for those if you're signed up with, uh, as we mentioned, the leaked Tag report went out last week, uh, and the Green Hydrogen Index report, which we'll be having a deep dive into next week, should be with you by the time you're listening to this. Coming up in the next few weeks, though, we also have our PPA report. Ash, you've been working on that. That's right. I've been Right now, I'm hard at work with our senior reporter, Zach, in compiling the PPA report, where we rank the top performing markets, the top performing sectors, and the involvement of uh, law firms um, in procuring PPA contracts. So stay tuned for our PPA report that's scheduled to be released on the 22nd of February. And to round it out, the last report scheduled for Q1 will be the RiskWatch report. That's right. That's another report that I'm yet involved in, alongside our senior analysts, uh, Dila and yourself, Oliver. The three of us are also working on this report, compiling inter- both internal and external data sets in ranking the top performing countries for the energy transition sectors in 2023. Yes, that one's going to be a much more uh, a big overview. And the, the new thing that we're uh, including in our Risk Watch report this time is data on the health and the risk associated with supply chains, which is something that we haven't really delved deep into in the past. So that's, I think, something that's been rising up the energy transition agenda. So it's good to be reflecting that, I think, in our reports. That's right. We'll be able to integrate a lot of macroeconomic data, which would be quite uh, exciting to go over as well. Indeed. And that's the report offering. Um, Also an exciting event coming up in the next couple of weeks. In fact, on the 28th of February, Inspiratio will be in Berlin, Germany, hosting our New Tech Hydrogen and CCUS Summit for 2024. We're putting on this event in partnership with CIBC, FRV, Squire Patton Boggs, ERM and JLL. We are certainly looking forward to um, discussing hydrogen and CCUS in such a pivotal market, the German market. Um, In fact, in the Green Hydrogen Index reports that we've done so far, Germany has been a key focus. That is one of the reasons why we're so excited to go and uh, go there and talk to the market. We're expecting to uh, see a lot of uh, key market players there. I believe there are still a handful of tickets available. So if you are interested, we'll put the details to that below. We'd love to see you in Berlin. And that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We've covered a lot of news. We've covered a lot of reports. And hopefully uh, that's all of interest. We'll be, uh, of course, bringing you more of the usual news and analysis every week. But until then, thank you very much and goodbye.